the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, it's real easy in the midst of intense persecution, suffering, or trials to take a look at it all and say, what's the use? And just give in. But today, we get real encouragement from 1 Peter chapter 2 to resist. Join us. Abounding Grace is next. Greetings and welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace, the radio ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Today, we're going to continue our look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. We're in a little break from Luke chapter 5, and we're focusing on the Christian resistance that we are to put up when trials and struggles and persecutions face us. You know, it's really easy to give in, to cave and give up. But here, Peter is telling us to resist, stand strong, and for good reason. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Whenever the state demands that which is in conflict with the laws of Christ, the true Christian must and will disobey the state for the Lord's sake. And he will then suffer the consequences. We have levels of allegiance in our lives. And the highest of all is the Lord Jesus Christ. When church and state or anyone demands of us something in which is obedience to it requires disobedience to Christ, Christ must be obeyed and man must be disobeyed. When Jesus requires you to do something, but the state requires something else and you obey the state, thus becoming a supposed good, loyal American citizen, You have sinned against the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you two very good examples, both of them found in the book of Daniel. Daniel was indeed a man of God, raised up to be a powerful individual in the pagan culture of Babylon. Every day without fail, it was Daniel's custom to pray to the Lord. He didn't hide it, but he never made a big show of it either. He had established set times to pray, and he stuck to his schedule. Well, then some of the enemies of God and his law were decided they would try and trick Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, into charging Daniel, whom he loved, with lawlessness and disobedience. So they talked the king into passing a law that said there was to be no public prayer in the entire kingdom. Beloved, do you know how Daniel reacted to this new ordinance? He kept on seeking the Lord in prayer. And he had consistent, as he had done consistently before. Certainly, it was against the law. The law was legal by by Babylonian standards. But what did Daniel do when the laws of the state came into conflict with God's? He shattered the laws of the state to hell. He did it quietly, 
humbly, without pomp and circumstance. But he biblically disregarded the laws of the state. Then there were three young men, probably in their teens, named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who literally did everything they could to survive in this pagan environment of Babylon. But there was a law passed that said everyone was to be together in this open field, all the citizens of Babylon, by the thousands. And when a particular signal was given, everyone was to bow, whether their hearts were bent to do so or not. It was to be done in recognition of the head of state, Nebuchadnezzar, and his divine authority represented in the statue that was erected before them. The people were told that if they didn't bow to this idol, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. The signal was given, and everyone bowed except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood there, straight and tall, and broke the laws of the state. Because they knew, you may not bow before any god except Jehovah. And of course, as the story goes, in this particular situation, God saved them from that fiery furnace for their faithfulness. So when this passage of Scripture says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution... It is also telling us something about the limits of our submission to civil authorities. You just don't simply lie down and do whatever the civil government on any level tells you to do. There are levels of allegiance. And yes, you must pledge allegiance to the civil government in which you live. You must take church membership vows seriously. And you must keep your promises to the marriage vows. But the highest of all of our allegiances to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know where the word allegiance comes from? In the old medieval sense of the word, Jesus Christ is our liege Lord. He is the one you are to pledge your life to. A vassal, a person such as us in medieval times had a variety of allegiances. He pledged his allegiance to this particular man and to that landlord. But he had one allegiance that superseded all of the rest. And when this man, this liege, called, the vassal was to respond. No matter, rather, that contradicted all the other alliances he had made with others. That was his liege lord. And his ultimate allegiance was to him. For the Lord Jesus Christ is our liege lord. We pledge our allegiance to a lot of institutions, but all of them are secondary to the Lord to Jesus Christ. And when all of them are in conflict with the Lord's will, it is His will that must win the day in our lives. So that's the first limit on our submission. We are to submit ourselves gladly and voluntarily to the superior authority of the state. But it is not an unquestioned total allegiance. I've seen many bumper stickers over the years and heard many people during my involvement with politics say, America, right or wrong. That is a totalitarian pagan statement. You should never go with your country right or wrong. 
You go with Jesus all the time. And you only go with your country when it is biblically correct. When it is wrong, you resist it, you challenge it, and you criticize it. Beloved, a Christian has no other alternative. We can never compromise our loyalty to Christ. There is a second limit on our submission to the state that can be seen in our text. And that is the limited God-ordained function of the civil government. Notice in verse 14. Or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. There you have spelled out as elsewhere in scripture that the civil government has a twofold function or responsibility. It is to punish evildoers and to praise those who do right. And whether you are studying the New Testament or studying the Old Testament, the Word of God gives the civil government no other responsibilities whatsoever. And yet, what does the present government of the United States do or want? What does our federal government see as its main function? Providing health care, education, welfare, housing, legal services, abortions, environmental regulations, banking regulations and banking insurance, Medicare, Social Security, agricultural subsidies, and even mental health checkups. You say, well, Pastor Wagner, we need all these things in this highly complex culture. Not according to God. Do you think God didn't know what the 21st century would be like? The state involvement in any of these areas amount to usurpation of God's legitimate authority. And when the civil government gets involved in any of these areas that I have mentioned, it must be resisted and challenged by the Word of God. And if we don't resist it, and we don't challenge it, and call it to repentance by the Word of God, then my dear brothers and sisters, we will remain slaves, and our children will be slaves after us. Now let's look at the twofold biblical responsibility of civil governments. The punishment of evildoers is an extremely interesting phrase. The word punishment is also translated vengeance. The purpose of the civil government is to uphold God's justice. It is to respond with vengeance and appropriate punishment to all those who commit injustice and immoral acts. In Romans 12, God says... Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And then in Romans 13 it says the purpose of government is to avenge those who do evil and bring the wrath of God on to the wicked. So vengeance is something that is God's prerogative. That is to punish those who violate God's justice and seek to assault His moral order. And God has given the civil rulers, the authority to execute his vengeance. So when the civil government is lawfully and justly punishing criminals, it is representing God, the judge of heaven and earth. And it is God using the civil government as his instrument to punish and to silence those criminals who have violated his moral order. The state is to be an avenger of God's wrath upon evildoers. 
It is to terrorize those who strive to assault God's law order. And one thing you must understand is that the state will always, will always terrorize someone. After all, if they hold the sword of vengeance in their hands, someone will be menaced and intimidated by that sword. Now the issue is, who was the state going to terrorize? Is it going to terrorize, silence, and punish, and bring God's vengeance to bear upon evildoers? Or is it going to use the sword to persecute those who do right? When God's word is used as a standard for determining good and evil by the state civil government, and when the biblical standard is obeyed and enforced by that civil government, and when that government terrorizes evildoers, then those law-abiding citizens who obey God's standards will feel safe, and secure. Do you feel safe and secure? Why do we have alarm systems in our homes and our businesses? Why do we have car alarms and fancy systems to keep people from burglarizing our autos? Why in some sections of the South Bay do they have bars on their windows and doors? Why do many women carry pepper spray and learn self-defense and Now we even have citizens purchasing stun guns. Why don't most of us travel into many areas alone in the wee hours of the morning? And I ask you, how safe are the unborn in America? This land is becoming less and less secure for the law-abiding citizens. Why? Because if our civil government is not a terror to evildoers, it will always be a terror to those who do right. Now, what is an evildoer? Praise the Lord, our text doesn't say evil thinkers. Praise God, it doesn't say submit yourselves unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evil thinking. The civil government was not instituted by God for thought control, as many states try to do. The purpose of the state is not to make you think or believe anything. The state is not to mold or shape your thoughts or to punish you when you have evil thoughts. Because, of course, man cannot see the heart and thus cannot control evil in itself. The civil government's purpose is to control and punish actions. It is to punish those who do evil. Only Jesus Christ can keep us from thinking evil. The state has no authority or power to change the thoughts of men. But the civil government is given power from God to control man's actions so that if men think they can get away with committing a criminal act... They can expect the swift vengeance of the state upon their actions. And if, that's, if that state is enforcing God's word. The state represents the rule of God and must administer that rule and no other. Punishing those who assault that rule. That state, says the late Greg Bonson, cannot presume to take anybody's life at its own whim but execute criminals and punish evildoers as God so sanctions these punishments in his law. When the state uses the sword against public crime, it must follow God's directions and definitions in the Bible with respect to crime. 
The state as God's representative must obey and enforce the Lord's law. Or you have tyranny, or you have chaos, one or the other. This is one of the most important points God makes in this whole idea of the relationship of a citizen to the civil government. And yet it is looked upon in our day as radical and extreme. But throughout the history of the Christian church, it has been the only legitimate function of the state. Here is the most important thing that I'm going to tell you today, beloved. Listen carefully. Rulers are expected to follow the law of God so that Christians can obey them. Because if the rulers do not follow the law of God, Christians cannot obey them. And if Christians cannot obey them, then they, as in ancient Rome, will be seen as treasonous, lawless instigators who deserve the severest of persecution. And if you don't believe me, you look at the Drudge Report every day. It has a story after story of people in America who are arrested for handing, simply handing out tracts and calling people to faith. Something just happened this last week in Dearborn, Michigan. I don't have time to go in it, but go to the internet and you'll see exactly what I mean. Turn with me to Revelation 14, 9 through 12. And the third angel follow them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, who so, so, whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Let me give you just a brief and simple explanation of a few of these figures. You have men who are indicated as guilty before God because they follow the dictates of the beast. What is the beast? In the context of the book of Revelation chapter 14, I believe it is the, the anti-Christian Roman Empire of that day, as well as the emperor or any civil authorities such as we have today. And in this text, those who follow the beast are contrasted with those who keep God's law. Keep this in mind. You have those who bear the mark of the beast... They get along with the beast just fine because they do whatever the beast or state requires of them. And you have those who are counted as the saints of God, with the sealing of God upon their heads. And these saints are not allowed to enter into any kind of commerce, and they will even lose their jobs simply because they won't submit wholly to the authority of this beast. Now, the beast is seen here as the state and minister of Satan. So turn back with me to Romans 13, 4, concerning the state. Romans 13, verse 4. It says, For he, the ruler, is the minister of God to thee for good. So here in Romans 13, you have a statement that says that the state is to be a minister of God. Well, in Revelation 14, it says the state is a minister of Satan, and those who follow it are going to be judged and persecuted by God and his people. Now, which is it? Is the state a servant of God, 
a minister of God to you for good, or is it a beastly minister of Satan who will persecute Christians? How do you reconcile these two verses? Well, first understand Romans 3, 13, 4 is God's norm for civil governments. This is what a civil government should be and what a civil government is responsible to be. A civil government should be a minister of God for good, obeying and enforcing God's law and pouring out God's vengeance upon criminals who violate God's normal order for the protection of law-abiding citizens. That's God's norm. Whenever a civil government operates in that fashion, it is a minister of God to you for good. When does a civil government become a minister of Satan that persecutes Christians? Whenever the civil government deviates from God's norm. Whenever it fails to obey or enforce the word of God and tries to impose upon its citizens another law order and another moral standard other than the holy word of God. Beloved, this is an important concept to remember. The state is again said to be two things in Scripture. And it will always, it will always be one or the other. There is no in-between. In Romans 13, it is said to be a minister of God. Then Revelation 14 says the state is the minister of Satan. How do you reconcile the two? Romans 13 is the norm. And Revelation 14 is the deviation of the norm. Whenever the government of the United States of America and the government of the state of California seek to obey God's moral standards revealed in the Bible, it will become a minister of God to you for good. But as long as it continues to disregard God's biblical standards and continues to impose upon us a way of life contrary to God's law, it will remain the tool of Satan and your enemy. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters. You may not like to hear this, but America has become a bloodthirsty beast and a servant of Satan. Ask yourself, is the civil government of the United States and of California a minister of God for you for good? If it does not enforce and obey the laws of God, you must continually view them as the enemy of yourself and your family and do all you can to protect yourself from it and redeem it for Christ. And I am not talking about revolution. I'm talking about strict adherence to every word of God. Some of you may be saying, but I'm going just too far. But trust me, beloved. This is what the true church, the true Christian faith has believed throughout the history of the church. I encourage you to read the brilliant work published in 1689 and republished by Stillwater's revival called The Defense of Liberty Against Tyrants. And I also call you to read David Hall's excellent work called Savior or Servant, putting government in its place. Let me leave you with a couple of relevant quotes. First, a quote from John Knox's co-pastor, Christopher Goodman, from a publication he called Now listen to this. How superior powers ought to be obeyed of their subjects and wherein they may lawfully by God's word be disobeyed and resisted. And he says, if princes do right, 
and keep their promises with you, then do you owe them all humble obedience. If not, you are discharged, and your study ought to be, in this case, how you may depose and punish according to the law such rebels against God and oppressors of their country. Then from my mentor, Dr. Rush Dooney. To affirm the sovereignty of God means to deny the sovereignty, government, and providence of man, the state, the church, and all other man-made agencies. Their role is to obey God, defined by God's word. All else is usurpation and sin, and must be resisted by God's precious elect. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 4 Four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 